Tonight, we will continue with where we were Sunday night. And I know many of you volunteer next door and are a part of our youth ministry or our children's ministry. And so we'll review for just a moment what we talked about Sunday night. If you were here Sunday night, raise your hand if you were here in the sanctuary. Okay, a good number of you. So we won't take too long reviewing, but the thought Sunday night uh, revolved around a game plan, a thought process of how you as a Christian can defeat Satan, how you do not have to fall to temptation, how you do not have to listen uh, to an accusation that when Satan comes, when the enemy comes, there is a path, there is a plan, there is an option for you to be successful. Our pivot, our greatest example of this goes back to uh, the book of Luke chapter 4. Jesus' temptation in the desert for 40 days as a man. We have said this multiple times and multiple messages have come out of that encounter, those 40 days of tempting. Uh, but Jesus was in the desert. Jesus was tempted. He was hungry. He was thirsty, not as God. Now, he still had all of the capacities. He was all God and all man. But for you and for me to have the example, he went into the desert, tempted 40 days as a man and was victorious in his temptation, not by exercising the office of his deity, rather he was successful in his 40 days of temptation by exercising prayer, fasting, and quoting scripture. The devil literally was face to face with the son of God and was attempting to bring him down to offer him things that he had no right to offer him. And then the word that became flesh, the son of God, then quoted the word back to the face of Satan. And we talked about briefly that if you'll notice in that entire encounter in Luke 4, that even Satan himself took bits and pieces of scripture and began to twist them and use them almost to try to uh, plant seeds of doubt or to uh, strip Jesus of confidence and authority. Uh, the devil ought to feel very lucky that he made it out of that 40 days without the wrath of a holy God wrapping him up like a bacon-wrapped scallop and throwing him into the pits of hell for all eternity. How dare someone, even Satan himself, have the audacity to think he can say such things to God? That gives you a picture into how vile and wicked men can become and how vile and wicked evil really is apart from God. Now, coming out of that, the humanity of Jesus, we talked about the prayer life of Jesus, we talked about why he had to pray, who he prayed to, if God is being prayed to, and if he is the son of God, and if we believe and we know that Trinitarian doctrine proves that the Trinity is obviously working in different capacities at the same time, then why would Jesus have to pray? If you miss those sermons, go back and listen to them because it just builds up to where we're at tonight. Really the part two of our game plan to defeat Satan. Let's pray and then we'll get into this together as a family. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, our prayer tonight 
is to continue to build on the authority that you've given us, the confidence that you've given us as Christians. Lord, we don't stand here tonight making these claims as people. Lord, we don't stand here tonight standing on our righteousness or our understanding. We cannot lean into that. But Lord, we lean into you. We lean into your righteousness. We ask you for wisdom. And Lord, we know that you'll give it to us liberally. Lord, do that now. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment. And Lord, I pray that you would take the word of God. And Lord, that you would penetrate each heart and each life that's in this room. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Authority and confidence. We have said it dozens of times. It's been our theme. If we had to have two words or key words or root words this year, those two words have been confidence and authority. I believe as your pastor, I believe uh, wholeheartedly for our country that if America is going to survive the next 15 years, if there's going to be any remnant of a church left, it will be that the church that's here now will really truly understand what it means to have confidence and to have authority as the culture and as the world changes. Uh, you cannot say that we're in the same place we were even 10 years ago. Uh, things have changed. The whole entire cosmos, as your Bible uses that word many times in the New Testament, the world order, the way the world works, it's changed. It changes each and every day. Pay attention even in the next few weeks to global markets, the sabotage of the gas lines in Europe. You say that has nothing to do with my life. It has everything to do with the type of life you're getting ready to live even in the United States of America. Uh, you cannot rob Peter and pay Paul and do it continuously over and over and over and over, generation after generation, and somewhere along the line, the system not break. Well, it could be that the system is getting ready to break, a complete and total reset. Go back and look at why we left the gold standard in the 70s. Look at oil. Understand that. Be educated in this. Don't be caught off guard. Uh, be like little squirrels, and when you find an acorn, take it back to the tree, find a little hole, and stash your nuts in the tree. Get ready for uh, the possibility of a lean winter, of a lifestyle that changes. And in that thought and in that process, take on the identity of the Christian that God wants you to be while living in a changing world. It does not change our comfort level does not change the fact that we have a job to do. It does not change the fact that we're called to be salt and to be light. And if you're going to go up against the grain of what's taking place in our culture, then you have to be prepared to do that. In other words, you're not going to trip up and accidentally be the Christian that God wants you to be. You're not just going to fall into a, a lifestyle of consistency and holiness with God. It's intentionality, it's purpose, it's identity, and it's understanding. This is where some of the stuff from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, where God was moving in great ways, but men started to take those movements of God and those great revivals, and those men began to put their hands on some things they should not have touched. Uh, we lost a real momentum because of the materialism of even the 90s. 
And so if the church is going to survive, if the church is going to thrive, then we have to be people who understand who we are. A lot of this is our mentality, our way of thinking. What is our knee-jerk response? What is second nature to us when a problem arises? And that comes down to the very microcosms of your life, the way you do money, the way you do life, the way you raise your children, and even the way you respond to temptation, to sin, to doubt, to fear. God has given us a roadmap to handle every single one of those elements and to be successful. In other words, church, God did not save you, called you from death to life, out of darkness to light for you to be a loser. God called you from death to life, from darkness to light for you to be a winner for the Lord Jesus Christ. He sets you up for success. Now, Sunday night, I gave you three ways, three ways that you can win, that you can be successful, that you can beat the devil. Raise your hand if you like winning. Almost everybody. I'm still looking for someone that doesn't raise their hand because I want to take them and play putt-putt with them because I'm terrible at putt-putt and I want to win. So if you like losing, we can go play putt-putt. I like winning. I like Alabama roll tide crimson football because it's a winning team. I like the Atlanta Braves. They're a real winning team. Unlike the pinstripes from New York City who buy their wins, Michael Otar. Now, three things. Let's get back to what's important tonight. Three things. Number one, the Savior's victory at Calvary. Your success, your win was purchased and settled at Calvary. If we do not have the white cross behind me and what it represents, we have no win. There's no victory to celebrate. But because of what actually took place in Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago, we're already 2,000 plus years and we're still talking about it because it changed everything for me. This was the moment of our win. This was the beginning of our success, our Savior's victory at Calvary. Number two, the intercessory ministry of Christ for you. The prayer life of Jesus that he had where he prayed for you. Sunday night, I tried my best to read John 17. I did not make it through John 17. If you take in what's actually taking place in that chapter where Jesus thanks the Father for the gift of the church and then even gets specific in his prayer and Jesus says, God, Father, I'm not praying for the world right now. I'm praying for the ones that you have given me the ones that belong to me, the ones that hear my voice and know it. I thank you for them. And then Jesus in John 17 says, now, Father, I pray that you would keep them from evil, that you would keep them from evil. And you'll find in John 17 that you're there. Jesus prayed for you. It's a very emotional thing. It's a powerful thing to understand that Jesus prayed for you. 
And you can be victorious. You can beat the devil. You can be victorious over sin and temptation because of his prayer life for you. That prayer that John the Beloved wrote down under holy inspiration that he heard Jesus pray to the Father, one of the most beautiful prayers in all of history, prayed by Jesus himself. In my humble opinion, that's the real Lord's Prayer. That's the real Lord's prayer. That was his prayer, the Lord Jesus Christ. That was his heart. And his heart was you. And it was me. And he prays this prayer right before he goes, where? To Gethsemane. His crushing, not my will, but thy will be done. See, Jesus does these things. He says these things. He prays these things. And it sends a, a rush of energy down redemptive history all the way to me. It's incredible what Jesus accomplished. So you have the Savior's victory at the cross, the intercessory ministry of Christ for you, and then thirdly, the Holy Spirit's indwelling power. The Holy Spirit's indwelling power. Now, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, let's read this again just to refresh your memory. In whom ye also trusted. After that, ye heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed. Ye were sealed, and if you underline or highlight in your Bible, you want to underline or highlight the word sealed, with that holy spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. God's own spirit comes to indwell the believer and secures and preserves eternal salvation. Let's take this very quick rabbit trail and say this loudly and clearly. And if you don't understand this or you struggle with this, this would be something to explore as it pertains to truth. If you've ever been saved, if you've been truly saved, regenerated, the second birth, born again, if you belong to Jesus, if you're in the family of God, not according to Winston, not according to Baptist tradition, but according to the word of God, that salvation is settled, that moment of salvation, and it can never be revoked, period. You cannot lose authentic salvation. You cannot lose Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, saving faith, is permanent faith. It does not mean that you will not struggle. It does not mean that you'll never commit another infraction against God. But I know this to be true, that if on earth there's nothing I can do within myself or within science to change the fact that I am Dwight Parrish's son, that no matter what I say I am, no matter who I say my daddy is, I've got one daddy and his name's Dwight. There's nothing that can change that. If that is true in a human sense, then I know good and well that my Lord and my Savior does a perfect work at the moment of salvation. And if it can happen in human understanding, there's no way it can't happen in a divine eternal sense with a heavenly Holy Father that's perfect. Your salvation is settled. And the Bible here tells you that you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
And we talk about this word. This word's very important. Sfragizo. Sfragizo. Sealed. Sfragizo. It means security. It means authenticity. It means ownership. It means authority. This was the word that would indicate the seal on a legal document. This is what happened at your moment of salvation. So number three, the Holy Spirit's indwelling power. Okay, now I want to give you the rest of these. Here's how and why we can win. Here's how and why we can win and be successful over the devil. Number four, the protection of Christ. The personal protection of Christ. 1 John 5.18 We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that the wicked one toucheth him not. I said this Sunday night, and I think we'll say it again tonight. Sometimes I think Christians give the devil too much credit for our own failures, our own flesh, and our own faults. Sometimes the greatest enemy is not the devil. Sometimes the greatest enemy is my rotten flesh. Saved, yes. Sanctified, yes, thank the Lord. But I'm still waiting for that third and final, the glorification I'm still waiting for my perfect body. I'm still waiting for the flesh to be cast off forever. Again, the Apostle Paul says, I die daily. Leonard Ravenhill said, stop getting near the cross and get on the cross with Christ. There's room for you. Get on the cross with Jesus. That's how wicked our flesh is. That's how fallen the nature of man is. And the Bible teaches clearly that Satan cannot touch a hair on your head, cannot come to bother you, cannot come to uh, accuse you unless it is within the perfect sovereign will of your father. Your father's sovereign perfect will would not allow you to be brought to a place where you did not have the choice. Listen to me very carefully. God's sovereignty would never bring you to a place where you had no choice, where you had to sin. Think of that now. God's sovereign and God's holy and God is righteous. And in his sovereign plan, he would never allow one of his children to come to an intersection where you don't have the choice to turn right away from evil and instead go left towards the evil. That's not the nature of God. Well, the Lord allowed me to meet that woman. The Lord allowed me to, 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 to uh, get into that conversation. He knew what was coming. Yeah, but he also gave you the choice, the option, the moment, the time when your heart was smote and you knew it was wrong and you still chose to do it. God will never bring you to a place where you cannot choose to do the right thing. That's the holiness of God. That's the sovereignty of God. And he loves you enough to give you a choice. I'm so thankful that God did not call me, did not save me, did not woo me and draw me to be a robot. 
Rather, he loves me enough to allow me a choice. And it's just like Jesus in the desert for 40 days, tempted by Satan. It says at the end of that temptation that he leaves victorious from the temptation. And the next sentence says that he returns into Galilee empowered. He returned in the power of the Spirit. And when you have the moment, when you have that instantaneous decision to make on whether to do the right thing or the wrong thing, and for God's glory you choose to do the right thing, it will empower you. You will grow. You will learn. You'll get another stripe on your shoulder. There are some of us that have been saved for 15 years and we're still private first class. We've not ranked up at all. We're still at the back of the line. We've gone through boot camp 17 times. When we should be brigadier generals or at least at the minimal a corporal that can at least eat a filet mignon. You may not be ready for the 45 ounce tomahawk ribeye but you can at least chew on something that's got some protein in it. And instead, instead you've got your private stripe and you're still drinking little glasses of milk. No growth, no desire. And that's the decision you made to continue in your apathy towards the things of God. You stay a private. There is no growth, there is no development. But the Bible offers you a clear picture that you can be victorious because of the protection of Christ. The devil cannot touch a hair on your head without the permission of a holy God. Look at the story of Job. Look at Job, a perfect example. Satan so wanted to strip God of glory that if you'll read that story carefully, Satan actually went into the presence of God and asked for permission to go after Job. Could it be that Satan has gone into the presence of God and said, that servant there that lives in Buncombe County that's been faithful all those years, allow me a few months Allow me to touch them. They will forget you even existed. They'll turn their back on you. And God's just waiting to get more glory out of the situation. You have an opportunity to grow and to be the person that God wants you to be. And while Satan does persecute and he does tempt and he does test and he does accuse the believer, God promises protection over his children. Number five, how can you win? How can you be successful over Satan? Well, this is a good one. The knowledge of Satan's tactics. The knowledge of Satan's tactics. This is like us being in World War II and we're sitting in Bastogne and the battle of the bulge is getting ready to take place. And someone just handed us Adolf Hitler's plan. With a surprise attack listed, the divisions, the panzers, where they're going to hit, when they're going to hit, how many of them there are. And then right under it, here's how you can defeat this attack. You have access to the plan of the enemy. You get to see the playbook 
There was a big controversy apparently this week between the uh, 2010 world champion Green Bay Packers and some other team called the Buck of Somethings from Florida. I don't know what they do, who their quarterback is. Some, some little guy, I don't know who he is. Anyway, that doesn't matter. There was a, a big controversy over the last play because someone that operated the camera in the Begatron showed the, the, the big Jumbotron. They, they showed the last play. They gave up the last play of the game. And so the Packers saw what this guy, Dom Grady something, what he was going to be doing, how he was going to be throwing the ball, where the receivers were going to be going. They saw the plan in the play. And what did they do? They took their defense and they said, well, that boy's running over there. You go get that boy. And that boy's running over there. You go get that boy. And you two big boys, you go after that little boy named Dom Grady or whatever his name is, Tom something. You go after him. He's going to stay in the pocket. They saw the plan. Now, you can see the plan of what Satan has planned for you. But you cannot see the plan if you do not read the letter where the plan is exposed. The truth, the truth, the word of God exposes Satan for who he is. The Bible said he's a dammer, he's a deceiver, he's a lion, a ravenous roaring lion, and he'll come and sneak into your house and kill you. Watch, be prepared. The truth exposes the enemy. It gives us the plan. Uh, the Apostle Paul said it best, 2 Corinthians 2.11 lest Satan should get an advantage of us. Pause. That means that Satan is planning. He's coordinating. He's got an offensive coordinator that's coming for your family. That's coming for your life. Somewhere within the structure and the government of evil, there is a dossier on who you are, what you like, and what your weaknesses are. You belong to the king. You belong to Jesus. You're to be salt. You're to be light. And if they can push back or subvert the salt and the light and keep it at home, distracted by petty sin, then that's exactly what Satan will do. But then he goes on. He says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. And here's the key. For we, us, the church, the Christians, are not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant of Satan and who he is and what he wants to do. But we're not ignorant because we have the word of God. The truth of the word of God exposes exactly who he is. Go back to the rebellious heart of Lucifer prior to his expulsion from heaven. It's there for us. The knowledge of Satan's tactics. Satan's primary target in your life will always be your mind. If you're saved, if you're blood-bought, born again on your way to heaven, there's nothing he can do about that. Satan cannot come in and steal and kill and destroy what's happened in your heart. Your salvation is secure, it's settled. But what he can do is come against the mind. What you think how you think, when you think something, how you perceive things in your church. Uh, let me say this, and I prayed about this today, whether we should go down this road, but I'm going to go there. I feel like the Lord wants us to talk about this for just a moment. I've dealt with this personally in my life just in the past five weeks. 
If you keep getting something in your mind, some sort of, if you will, subliminal feeling about another person, a family member, a friend, and there's all these rushes of lie and deceit and worry and fear as it pertains to what that person is saying about you or what that person really feels about you. And you have no evidence about that person saying things behind your back or saying things to other people that they have no business saying. If there's no evidence, yet you are constantly bombarded with those thoughts. It could be that Satan's plan, Satan's opportunity is to strip the church of unity. Well, he does not like me. Based on what evidence? Well, she, you should have, I know, I'm about, well, maybe, I think she said that to her. Uh Uh-oh. It could be that Satan has your mind and he's pegging it with little thoughts, little seeds of doubt and wickedness. That's torment. You know what I'm finding is the best way to handle this? I, I dealt with this with a great friend of mine. He doesn't live in this city. We're both in ministry. We both serve the Lord. We're full time in ministry. And my mind was just overwhelmed with what he thought and what he was saying. And I had no evidence. I picked up the phone. He answered on the first ring. He said, what's up? I said, I'm gonna ask you a question. You by yourself? He said, yeah. I said, have I done something to you to harm you or to hurt you? Have I done something to hurt our friendship? He said, what are you talking about? I said, have I done something to hurt you? Are are you telling people that you have a problem with me? And then he really got a little bit mad. He said, what, what have I done to deserve this? What are you talking about? He said, I was just bragging on Trinity and how God was moving. The things I watched the Jubilee online, I can't believe what all God. No, what are, where are you getting this? Who said it? I want to call him right now. Let's put him on the call. Let's join in. Let's call that person and call them a liar because I don't believe it. And I've not said one word. And I said, well, there's, no, there's not been anybody. No one has told me you've said it. I just thought maybe you were. And then it hit me. What a trap. What a tactic to strip the church of unity. There may be people in this room. There may be people in this room. All week. Thoughts. Little whispers here and there in the dark. May I ask you, may I implore you, may I plead with you as your pastor, as your friend, if you have that feeling with someone, if you can't come into this building or if you can't run into someone at the grocery store without this heavy butterfly feeling of, oh gosh, I don't even think they like me. What are are they saying to other people? If there are things that you have no evidence for, go to that person and ask them, have I done something to offend you? Are we good in the Lord? Because I don't want anything to come between me and you. And I definitely don't want anything to come between me and the Lord and our relationship with him. If we can get to a place where Trinity will communicate to that level, look out. You won't be able to get in the back door. 
This thing will be locked down tighter than Fort Knox. And the moment a snake comes in through the door, there'll be four or five white-headed saints of God that know how to kill snakes with hoes and shovels and rakes. Because this is the house of God. That's what we need desperately. See, that's where church becomes more than just checking a box, entertainment, making yourself feel good for being here. And rather, you get on guard and protect the family of God. You can win. You can be successful. The knowledge of Satan's tactics. We need to be done here in just a moment. Number six and final. The best way to condense all of this, all five points thus far, condenses down to this one passage in my heart. Take your Bible and turn to James 4. It'll be on your screen as well. Snake killing, rat killing, armadillo killing, whatever varmint you want to put in there. James 4. Here it is. This is how you can win. This is how you can be successful. Children, listen to me. Every child that's under the age of 12, raise your hand. All the kids that are under 12, raise your hands. Kids, 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 listen to pastor. I'll tell you something. You can embrace this now. You don't have to wait till you're 18. You don't have to wait till you're 20. You can understand this now. It's simple to understand. That's how Jesus set it up. That's how he has it for you and for me to understand. We don't have to wait till we're old and gray-headed to get a hold of this. We can get this now. My little nephew, if he can understand complex offensive plays of a football team and, and know what the, the linebacker is supposed to do in this set, but when the defense does that, if he can understand something that complex, then his little heart can understand this. Listen to how simple this verse is. This is it. Submit yourselves. Therefore, to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Push back against him and he, being Satan, will flee from you. Greater is he, being God, being Jesus, that lives in you. Greater is he that lives in us, the Christians, than he that is in the world. That's talking about Satan. That's talking about evil. Jesus said what's inside of you, what lives on the inside of you from your salvation is greater, it's stronger, it's more powerful than Satan himself. But the key is not the fact that you resist Satan. The key is the beginning of the verse. Submit yourself. That verb there means to literally be underneath something but lined up perfectly. Underneath but lined up perfectly. It's one thing if you're going to nail two boards together and you want them to be strong and hold the weight of whatever it is you're building on top of them. And if those boards are not perfectly lined up, if they're not square, the strength of that structure will not be what it could be if the two boards were perfectly lined up square together and then nailed together. If one is off, if the lower one is off to the right and the top one is off to the left and they're not doing what they should be doing together, it's a weakened structure that will fail. This word submit means that you as a Christian live underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
in everything that you do, in everything that you are, in everything that you say, you submit to him. The way I go to the grocery store, I submit. The way I treat people in public, away from church, I submit. The way I love my wife, my children, the way I do business, the way I'm faithful to the house of God, I submit. And once I understand the submission part, then I can embrace resisting, pushing back against Satan. And then the Bible guarantees that he will flee from me. You see, you are no match. Listen to me and we're finished. You are no match for Satan. You are no match for temptation. You are no match for even worry, doubt, and fear without submission to the Father. If Jesus had to be submitted to the Father in the garden to be able to take on what he was getting ready to do on Calvary, if the Son of God had to find a place of submission and surrender, then how much more so should Winston Parrish be submitted to the Lordship of Christ in all that I say and all that I do? Submit yourself. And just remember, when temptation comes, when trial comes, when worry, doubt, and fear come, let's finish on the piano and we'll pray and go home. You've heard me say temptation. You've heard me say doubt. You've heard me say fear, worry, anxiety, depression. All of those things live in the same realm. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind and of love. The tone of the Father... I'm getting ready to start preaching a whole other message, but I won't because it's 734. The tone and the voice of the Father to His children, that's the key. The tone and the voice of the Father to His children will never come in the tone and the voice of accusation. God will never take you and beat you to death with words. Rather, His correction is that of a loving Father. It's a moment of disappointment, not of anxiety. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. Not of fear. That's not how Jesus speaks. And not of depression. That's not how the Father expects us to live. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we can be successful. We can win. And one day, praise God, Satan is going to get what's coming. And God's kept a perfect record book and every hair he's ever touched on your head, every sleepless night, every, every tear you've ever shed, he's going to pay for it. The judgment of God, the wrath of God poured out on him and his hoard for all of eternity while I sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb and worship for all of eternity. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that we can be successful. We thank you that we can win, that we can be victorious because of Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross. Help us to believe it. Help us to embrace it. Help us to hide this in our heart. Help us to be kind, tender to one another. Lord, I pray as if we ponder, as we think about our relationships within the church, Lord, that you would invigorate a sense of unity in our heart. Lord, if there's things that need to be made right between people in this room, 
or people that will be here on Sunday, I pray, Lord, that you would ignite some conversations, initiate some healing, and give us what we need to be the church that you expect us to be, to be the bride without spot, without wrinkle, a bride that you can be pleased with. Protect our church, be with them, encourage them, and do what only you can do for them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.